All right, hello everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, this brand new podcast called Leadership and the Environment Sweden. Um, my name is uh, Andreas Larsson, and I'm here with uh, Joshua Sporek. Hello, Josh. Josh. Hey, Andreas. Thanks for being here, and I appreciate you know when you say Leadership and the Environment Sweden, I think oh, I wish I could speak Swedish. So I appreciate you accommodating me speaking English. Yeah. Well, you, you actually know a few words in Swedish, as we covered earlier, you know. Uh, yes, a mix of Swedish and Norwegian. And yeah. I'm sitting on a stool and I'm drinking Wasser. Is it Wasser? Is that Swedish? No, that's German. Oh, man. Uh, uh, but it's very close. It's uh, Vatten. Vatten? Yeah. Okay. So now you, you, you've... So I will say that I've just watched several Ingmar Bergman movies. Yeah. And the full like five six hour versions of them, so I got that. Okay, cool. I haven't seen a single one. Well, you should do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. Uh, and I can say yen shopping. Yep, that's an important city in Sweden, yeah. <laughs> to me anyway. Um, yeah, so uh, um, I'm very glad that to have you on this podcast for the very first episode. Um, I guess, uh, um, people don't, uh, people listening don't, uh, uh, well, I can start by telling a little bit about how we met. Uh-huh. Um, well, I, I had a business, uh, like five years ago and I was having some problem with it and, uh, I started getting coaching from you mm-hmm. and, uh, the whole thing led to, uh, you helping me negotiate my exit uh, from the company. Yeah, this is a long and, time ago now. Yeah. Yeah, it's like five years ago. It's more of, more than five years ago. So yeah, time flies. Uh, but that was a very um, that was a very important experience for me. It was very a, a huge growth experience, and I learned so much. And it was very exciting to uh, to be in like this uh, high pressure situation like all the time. And in the end, it just turned out so well. And I'm, I don't know, I'm very happy about that. Well, me too. It, it, it ended up being an anecdote in my book initiative. Yes. So yeah, yeah I like when things work out so well. Yeah. yeah. Well, you also did the work. I, some clients, um, I give them exercises to work on and they come back and you can tell that they kind of did it, but didn't fully do it. Mm-hmm. But you fully did it. Partly, I guess, because there's a lot on the line for you. You'd co-founded the company, and there was—it's not so easy to sell off ones to exit. No it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I think that when you're so invested in a company, when you've been there for like four years, like the motivations get so strong, you know. So it's, it's like very—I don't know—it's an intense experience to do to to do an exit. Yeah, and I believe that your training up until then was in programming and the the not the business side or the relationship side of things but the technical side of things yeah and, yeah which was my background too and it was hard to learn that stuff which is why i coach in that area it's like most people don't get any coaching in that area or any training at all yeah yeah i didn't have any um formal leadership or business experience or education maybe i read a couple of books here and there but I don't know. I felt very uh, underprepared for the challenges. So, um, 
yeah, reading books on leadership is like reading books on playing piano. Yeah. It's not going to hurt. You got to put your fingers on the keyboard and you got to practice. Yeah. That's my view. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Like how I view leadership since then has changed a lot. Like, I mean, now it's, I mean, it's a lot about action, like doing stuff and talking to people, which I mean, sounds pretty obvious when you say it like that, but it wasn't to me, not back then. Yeah, me neither. I mean, there's so many books out there that are like principles or like I wrote for Inc. for a while, Inc. Magazine, and they always wanted stories that were the same stories over and over again because that's what people click on. Because, But people don't click on necessarily what makes them better. They just click on what's a headline that looks interesting. So it's things like a, how a Navy SEAL wakes up in the morning. Hmm. Well, Navy SEALs don't become Navy SEALs by reading about Navy SEALs. They do it. They work really hard. Yeah. People like to read about hard work more than they like to work hard. Yeah. Not realizing that after they work hard, they become more capable and what used to be hard becomes easy. Yeah. And hard work is really, really hard. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, very happy about that experience. We also, uh, you helped me organize a, an event. Yeah. Yeah. On, uh... I tell that story a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was also one of those things that I couldn't really see myself doing when we started. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, when you first suggested doing an event, that was so outside of like what I thought I was capable of doing, mm -hmm. and it was difficult to uh, to commit to actually doing it. But when I did it, like everything. It fell into place and I just did everything and in the end it turned out really well. I had a panel with uh, speakers from <clears throat> from the industry, from uh, virtual reality and augmented reality and I had an audience of uh, how many was it? Like 64, 65 people and people came and they got to try out the equipment like these VR sets and it got featured in media. That was cool. So, yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm going to share what, what I tell to others because I walk a lot of people through that process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say what you just said. I couldn't imagine me doing it and I, I couldn't see it. And you can edit this out if I'm sharing too much. But you said you didn't, you couldn't imagine yourself doing it. I said, just first do a small one, even if it's just friends and family. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. And your first one was four people, I think. Uh, yeah, it was uh, my uh, brother, my sister, and my father. And you were saying, here's what I tell people. Is it, I'm like, this other client did it, and he, it was like, he's like, that doesn't count. It's not for real. I was like, just do it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, grossly simplifying. And then when you had the actual event, so that was months later, because you had the first one was just family. The next one was a couple friends. And someone bailed at the last minute, so you had to fill in for that. Yeah. And I was like, this is useful, this is useful. And, like, ah. <laughs> and so later the actual thing happens. And you said to me, things came up at the last second. I could handle them because everything that happened had happened before. And I was like, that's what I told you. Yeah. <laughs> and so that lowers the barrier for lots of other people that they think, oh, someone can do this. Oh, like starting small, even if it's ridiculously small, does give you experience. It does. Yeah, I mean, even if it's... Uh... 
like way smaller or way less pressure, even if it's with your parents, like, I mean, it's still like the things you do there, like it's, I don't know, it still prepares you for when it's, uh, when it's on the line. So everything, I mean, I guess some things are new when you do it big, because you have more people uh, watching or you have more pressure or, but then you can focus more on just uh, dealing with that and you can kind of go on autopilot on the things you have practiced. That's yeah, that's, yeah, that's why I'm so down on a lot of the education that I had growing up, which is writing papers, reading papers, case studies. Now, those aren't the worst thing in the world, but they're not doing things. That's where the learn. I mean, it's actually is doing things. It's sitting in class, taking notes, but outside of life, you don't do that very much. No. And, and that's why, you know, the best advice I got on starting a podcast. So my podcast is now what, 340, 330, 340 episodes in. So I've done a lot. I'm pretty, I'm not like the best podcaster in the world. I don't have like listeners like Malcolm Gladwell does, but I am, I think, I mean, now increasingly people are contacting me and they're like really important people. And they're saying, you know, my book is coming out. I want to be on your podcast. I'm like, that's great. And so talking to you, so I want to let the listeners know that we were talking about you starting this, what we're doing. The best advice I ever got was, it wasn't even advice, it was an observation. It said that everyone who starts a podcast, no matter how awesome it is, when they go back and listen to their first episode, they cringe. And so I, we, we talked for a few weeks about this and I suggested practicing interviewing some people. And last week I said, next week, you're interviewing me for the first episode. <laughs> and you're, you could see like your heart stopped or something like that. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I saw what happened between that first, the only family event and the full event. Yeah. And you didn't describe that in just now. I think if I remember right, it wasn't just people got to try. They got to try the latest equipment from someone who benefited. Like it was this huge mutually beneficial thing where people got to try this stuff out. <clears throat> the person you had like leaders of industry and you had all these consulting companies coming to you about like how to help them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, But once you get started, then it gets easier and more fun. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of dropped away there for a second. I can. Oh, sorry. I hope you can yeah. hear me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, I guess people listening don't um, would maybe find it interesting to know a little bit more about like your background because I I think it's pretty interesting that you come from uh, physics and if you could just share a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll I'll do the one minute version, and if that's too short or too long, let me know, and I'll shorten it or lengthen it. Sure. I grew up pretty geeky. I, like I was good at math and science, and I tried to hide. And so I try to shy away from taking classes in math and science, but eventually, but everyone could tell that about me. So eventually, in college. In my junior year, I was like, you know what? I like this stuff too much. And so I decided to major in physics and I got a PhD. I helped build a satellite. The satellite's orbiting the earth right now, still taking data, it's doing well. <clears throat> then in graduate school, the being a physicist wasn't a life that I really wanted to live. 
a lot of stuff going on, but some friends, it was the late nineties in New York. There's a lot of entrepreneurship in the air. A friend of mine and I started our first business, which was an invention of mine to put boxes on the walls of subway tunnels. And when the, when the train would go by, it would look like a movie screen outside the subway car window. We went live in Atlanta, then New York, then Hong Kong, Tokyo, Budapest, Athens, um, Mexico City, a few other places. But then the recession came and we almost went bankrupt. The investors squeezed me out. I was depressed for a while. I worked at a friend's company. Then I went to business school because I didn't have any business experience growing up. There were classes in leadership. I started to learn leadership, but that was where I learned also that learning principles of things, learning about things doesn't necessarily teach you to do those things. I started learning how to teach more effectively, which I applied to leadership training, which led to me coaching, led to my books, which one became a bestseller. And I decided I was going to start a school for leadership. So for a long time, my goal was to start a school for leadership. NYU ended up hiring me. I started teaching there for a while. And I probably would have gone back to teach leadership and, and start a school for leadership, except that something in my personal life started becoming really big, which is that I started challenging myself to live by my environmental values, seeing the environmental situation coming long. I mean, this goes back a long time in terms of acting, trying to act somewhat sustainably by like turning the lights off when it wasn't in the room and turning, not using the air conditioner so much. But then I started really challenging myself, things that led to, you know, I, I throw out my garbage once a year. That's because I don't buy packaged food and I try to avoid buying stuff. And then I'm in my fifth year of not flying. And these came from, I didn't expect to drop my consumption and waste by something like 90%. But every time that I did, took a step along that route, I found it a really joyful experience. Totally unexpectedly, I really thought it was gonna be a burden and a chore. So I decided, oh, but also nobody had this message in the world. I'm not aware of a single person, even your Greta. Yeah. No one says you're going to like it. Yeah, it seems like if you think flying means it brings you to your relatives, it means you make money, it means adventure, then not flying, I think most people think, well, that means, well, in Sweden, you guys have, um, I forget the term for flight. Oh, that's another word I know, plugging. Yeah. <laughs> so I've switched, I, I never jog, I only plug. And just today I came home from, uh, I came home with both hands full of garbage from around here. That was just a walk, not a run. So no one's sharing that you're gonna like this. They, most people think not flying means no family, not seeing family, not making money, loss of adventure. And my experience was the opposite, more time with family, more control over my career, more adventure, more cuisines and so forth. No one's saying that. I mean, Greta's calling for panic. No one's saying actually the reason, if you try it, you'll actually enjoy it more, but no one wants to try it. Now there's a virus. So people are experiencing that, oh, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I decided to combine leadership and the environment to try to bring, to change the message, well, to bring a message that's not just facts, figures, doom, gloom, shame, whatever, but also 
my message was of joy, of community, of connection, of experience, of when people say, what I do doesn't matter, first of all, that is a tragic thing for anyone to say about themselves. Can you imagine if your parents said to you, it's okay, Andreas, what you do doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's an incredibly powerful statement. And people think of the total difference that they make in terms of if they, if they skip a straw, but they, if you lead someone, if you learn to lead and you lead people in this area, that's huge change. You can change organizations, you can change government. It's not what you do doesn't matter. And it's not that what you do, little things add up of like little things like straws or even not flying. It's if you lead others, leadership, helping others do what they wanna do, but haven't figured out how, that's creates meaning and purpose and value. Okay, I could go on. This is much longer than a minute. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's so interesting that, I mean, when you do something that looks on the outside like deprivation or sacrifice that, I mean, in the absence of that thing, you always find something else. So if you, um, uh, like I have this uh, challenge now of avoiding uh, pack uh, food packaged in uh, plastic. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for uh, three weeks. And I don't know, I've, I mean, it's still challenging. I wouldn't say it's easy, uh, but it's, it's also very interesting because you, I learn, I learn a lot. Like, like I found out that, um, uh, like I, cause now I, I haven't been able to find any meat. So I haven't had meat in, uh, three weeks and turns out I don't really miss it. Uh -huh. I wasn't really expect, I was really quite convinced that I needed it to be healthy or to be, I don't know. So I don't know, a lot of surprising things actually. And just- Yeah, uh, the surprises never end. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm finding more and more surprises all the time. Now in the lockdown that we have in the United States, I've now, t tomorrow is gonna be the end of my eighth week living in a house with my mom and my stepfather. I have not spent this much time stuck in the same house with people who have no, you know, she changed my diapers, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so every time I talk to them about the environment, they can, they always react with defensiveness. Like I'll tell them, I don't fly because of all this pollution. And they're like, stop telling me what to do. I'm like, I didn't tell you what to do. <laughs> so, but that's from a leadership, from a leadership perspective, you got to learn that. And so I'm, the surprise has never ended. It brings it ultimately brings us closer. Mm -hmm. Hence the community part. Yeah. So, uh, like, how, how did you, um, like, how did you come up with uh, all this stuff, and or like, how did you develop your uh, like views on the environment and like these techniques? And oh, I, I was just talking to someone about this. It's a. There was no single moment. In fact, there was not even a few moments. It was a lot. The earliest I can trace back, this is gonna sound crazy. I don't know how this sounds. When I was a little kid, maybe seven, eight, nine years old, in school, we were learning about the United States Constitution. <clears throat> and there was something that surprised me, which was, so we have states, we have government, so there's state laws. So in the Constitution, it says state laws are are smaller. They're, they're, they're lower than 
federal laws. Federal laws are lower than the Constitution. And then it says the Constitution is lower than treaties with other countries. And I thought that sounds that sounds weird. Shouldn't our law be the highest law? Why would something with foreigners be bigger? And then I realized if you sign a treaty with a foreign country and you then you change your law so you don't have to follow that treaty, the treaty is worthless. And that began in me, I struggled with that, even though I was a little kid, but it stuck with me that how my behavior affects others is up there, it's possibly my highest value. If I get home, I feed the dog before I feed me because it's, it depends on me. And another thing in physics, there's this principle of conservation of energy, which is no one has ever found, it's one of those fundamental properties of, of our world as far as anyone knows. And I think a lot of people feel like maybe my flight won't really count. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll turn on the air conditioner even though I don't really need to and no one will notice. Or in finance, people do accounting tricks so they don't have to pay taxes or so they don't have to pay so much whatever. And they, tri they do tricks with accounting. There are no tricks with energy. There are no, tr nature, there's no, nature is the perfect accountant. Every atom, every jewel of energy, you can't sneak it out. It's, it's perfect. And so if you turn on the light, you're causing coal to burn. You're causing fossil fuels to be used, even if it's solar, even if it's, it's still consuming stuff. Now, maybe turning on the light is necessary, or you believe it, it'll help you more than it'll hurt others. I, maybe, maybe not. I'm not trying to make a value judgment here. All I know is that if you turn on the light, that will, like right here, in my, so I'm not home, but in my home, I have this little thing where I, my money goes to wind and solar instead of to coal. But the grid is still the same. So if I increase demand, there will be an increase in supply. And some of that will come from coal. Even if my money's not going to it, I'm causing coal to burn. Even if it's, even if I don't want it to, even if I feel like, no, but it really shouldn't. I'm trying to, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to get it to the wind and solar, but even the wind and solar, you got to build the stuff. So the combination of what I do, there's no escape, like nature, even if I don't want, nature doesn't react to what I want. It reacts to what I do. So if I don't want to pollute, but I still pollute, it reacts to what I do. Yeah. So combine that with the principle of integrity and, and stewardship, you know, caring about others. Those are, those are like the earliest things. Then later there's a, ser a whole series of things of, I stopped eating meat in 1990. And before I stopped eating meat, I thought, I grew up in a world, I'd learned that eating meat was necessary for me to live, that I would die without it. And then I didn't die. And I thought, well, that's funny. I, why did I learn that? Why did I believe that? And if that's not true, what else is not true? And so I would, then I went without corn syrup, without hydrogenated oil. And then I went without, uh, I avoided processed food. And then I went, I avoided packaged food. And each time I thought it would be impossible or hard or would make my life worse. And each time it made my life better. So then when I gave myself the challenge to go without flying, that was, a lot of people see that as extreme. People are constantly describing me as extreme, but compared to what I'd done the step just before it, it was actually a small step. So the, 
it's really a long series of little, lots of little tiny steps, each of which steps, I should say experiments. Some didn't work out, but the ones that I, the ones that I mentioned are the ones that worked out. And eventually now I come to expect if I challenge myself again, I'll probably like the outcome because more than each, the physical result of each step, the mental change was for me to expect that acting by my environmental values and challenging the beliefs that led me to do things mindlessly, thoughtlessly, it would probably improve my life. And that's been my, not an aha moment, but a, a trajectory. Yeah. So uh, what do you think, um, like how, how do you say, like, how do you, how do, how do we fix the environment? Like, is there a way to, uh, you know, to, because we have a lot of problems, like with uh, everything from climate change and plastic in the ocean, all kinds of pollution. Like, is there a way to, um, to turn it back or to fix it? Or like, what's the solution in your mind? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it's already happening. I mean, millions of people are dying from various environmental things. I consider the pandemic a result of the environment. I mean, we're, we're, encroaching into wildlife territory and we're taking animals and sticking them together to breed that ends up breeding viruses and causing mutations. But even besides that, the pollution that people are inhaling and all that stuff. So there's no stopping everything. But yeah, I mean, I think that I reduced my pollution by something like 90% if I go by the online calculators. And that was a few challenging things, but mostly just getting rid of the junk and anyone can do that. I, I imagine in the United States with 90% reduction of waste, let's say conservatively 70, 75%. That's just getting rid of, that's just not buying stupid things like little gifts that give someone a little smile for about 10 seconds and then end up in a landfill for 500 years. That's not improving our lives. And if we stop buying stuff like that, then we have, we're not shipping it into the cities. We're not hauling the junk back out of the cities. And so there's less pollution in all sorts of ways. But how does that happen? I don't think that telling people facts and figures does it. I do think giving people experiences where they experience the joy on the other side of practicing. My practice is to try to give people that experience, especially focusing on influential people. So I try to bring the most influential people I can onto my podcast. I'm always shooting for the more and more influential people so that people at home, instead of thinking to themselves, like when they walk into a Starbucks and it's all polluting stuff, they, do they say, should I get this? It's got a plastic cup. And they look around and everyone else has a plastic cup. And they think, well, everyone else does. I guess, it, I guess it's okay. Instead, if they think, if I have Oprah Winfrey on my podcast and she acts and likes the results, then maybe they'll start thinking, you know, the culture is now about stewardship the culture is now about changing it's no longer about what excuse can i make up to keep doing what i was doing the biggest thing i think is population that's a big challenge people always say oh but in europe and america the birth rate is below replacement well if we're first of all if we import people that is to say if we allow a lot of immigration like the united states we the people in charge seem to believe that we have to keep increasing population so if we keep bringing people in, we're still, we're still promoting bigger population. 
And if we're overshoot, if we're above what the planet can sustain, we have to bring it down. At this point, everyone thinks China, one, pol one child policy, but they don't know about places like Thailand and Iran and Costa Rica and other places where they, through voluntary non-coercive means, brought child, like the birth rate went from like seven child children per woman to one and a half in Thailand in something like 10 years, totally voluntary, resulting in abundance and stability for everyone. A couple generations of one and a half children per woman, and we're back down to a sustainable population. And in, in fact, a place where people can fly around a fair amount and the earth can regenerate that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, although I would hope that we'd fly less anyway, based on my experience of the joys of not flying. Yeah. So I think if we took what worked on a national scale in several nations and applied that to many, many more nations, we could address the, what I think is the critical issue. The, I mean, it's all interlocking issues, but if we as a species could implement what was very successful in several nations, and it's like the opposite of the one child policy in terms of people liked it. They had like a superhero character and they give out condoms, like police officers would give out condoms. This was before AIDS. So they was, they, it wasn't like now that they're everywhere. Yeah. I think they may have been a part of helping make that. It's, it was fun. And they would teach little kids stuff about family planning. I would love to see that. Mm. I think that would be, that's one of the things I don't see so much of because people are like, oh, electric cars, but that doesn't, there's lots of issues with that. Yeah, you don't hear much about the population issue when it comes to the environment, I don't think. It's always- yeah, uh, politicians don't get elected Politicians prefer bigger populations and bigger taxes. Yeah. But not smaller populations and more abundance per person. Yep. Yeah, I wonder why if uh, some people are a little bit disillusioned with uh, like the um, like the environmental movement or, or a lot of people maybe feel like uh, politicians kind of hijack the issue for... Uh, political ends. I don't know. I've definitely found that in the United States, it's a huge political wedge issue. And the left tries to bludgeon the right, the right tries to bludgeon the left. I'm hoping to change that. Yeah. So I guess, uh, I mean, you act a lot on the environment or on your environmental values. Like why, why is this uh, so important to you? Like what, what motivates you? There's a lot of things. And the more that I act, the more it becomes a very rich, there's so many, at the beginning, there were a few things, but it's become a lot of things because it connects me with family. It's, there's an aesthetic, I guess at the beginning, it was really a beauty of nature. Why did I major in physics? A lot of people associate physics with lab coats and technicians, and there is that element to it or writing equations in the blackboards. But, you know, Richard Feynman said it very well. If you look at a flower, some people say you look at a flower, it's beautiful on its own. And then a scientist goes and they have to analyze it and they, they lose the beauty. But on the contrary, for someone like me, the beauty is greater if you understand the evolutionary processes that led to the flower being that way and the biological processes of how that particular flower is attractive to one species of, or multiple, you know, a few species of birds or, or moths or whatever pollinates it and learning how it relates with the fungus beneath the surface. And I, I find more beauty in that. And so 
I could look at a pile of garbage <clears throat> and use my intellectual skills to see a beauty in that. But there's something different between the, the beauty of, of wildflowers and the beauty of jet exhaust coming out the back of a plane. Like, I want more of the former. And I think, I think we can enjoy it and be happier with it. So it's, it's that feeling. Yeah. This is like the beauty of nature. So when you're, so when you're, um, say not, not flying, do you feel like is that creating more of beauty in nature or like, how does that relate or? Well, if I were to fly, it's not necessarily the case that not flying is creating more, but flying would certainly destroy it. Yeah. I mean, I think of somewhere there's an oil well, probably in a place where people used to be. And it probably is a lot less beautiful now than it was then. So someone stomped on the flowers and stomped on whatever was there. And then there's a Navy that protects the supply lines so that the stuff can get shipped all over the world. And that Navy's polluting more and, then there's the exhaust that comes out the back and makes people sick. Yeah. And meanwhile, if I don't fly, I, yes, then I find stuff around me that, I mean, one of the big things, am I not flying? I don't know how this will sound, but I started learning about their berry trees in Manhattan that I pick berries from. They're in Manhattan. I'm getting fresh fruit off the tree. I had no idea. I found places where I can get herbs also just fresh, ready to pick. And they're delicious. I mean, lavender is incredibly delicious. It's like kind of like sage or um, mint flavor with a little oregano flavor in it. And I can walk to it. And then I start thinking of how much more nature there could be around. Yeah. And so I want to produce more. Yeah. Well, I invite you to uh, try to come up with something that uh, you could do to act on these uh, uh, things that you care about. Uh, the only constraint is that it has to be something that you're not already doing and um, that it's uh, something that you do with uh, like your own hands and that it has like a fiscal and measurable effect on the environment. So if you can come up with... I yeah, I've been thinking about things all week and I came up with something and I had no anticipation. When I was answering you just now, I was just talking about answering your question. In the past, I've talked to people about how much I love these, these, these June berries. That's what they're called. And I told them to enough people that a friend of mine years ago gave me a June berry tr a, a sapling. So it's like a foot high. Sorry, half a meter high. Oh. And... As it turns out, I gave that to my mom year, like a year or two ago. And because I couldn't get it to grow, I was watering it and nothing came out. And I felt like, ah, darn, this thing died. And I thought maybe I can give it to my mom and something will happen up there because there's like, I don't know, because uh, they have gardens up here and things. And they got it and they just left it outside. And last, win last summer, it just, just sat there, nothing happened. This spring, it's starting to bud. 
Huh. Like they didn't water it. It just got whatever rain it got. Yeah. And now we're talking about planting it and they plant stuff around here all the time. There's like, they're planting the garden for the spring and for, you know, for stuff to come up over the summer. And I said, don't plant that tree. I'm going to plant it. And I'm going to plant that tree. And we've been talking about where it would go. And I actually, if you look at my blog, something like a year ago, or maybe nine months ago, I posted on my blog, I want to plant a tree in Manhattan. Can someone help me? I've never done it before. And a couple of people contacted me, but we never actually did it. So I'm up here for all this time. So I'm going to plant a tree. I'm going to plant a Juneberry tree. I'm going to plant the, the, the berries that I was talking about. Yeah. Because I love them so much, I talked to people about them and talking about it led someone to give me a tree. And then it turns out it's right here. So I don't know how long it'll take because it depends on them where it goes because it's going to be in their yard. And um, I suspect I'll be able to do it this week, like within a week. But that's not totally under my control. But I, I, I will either do it in the week or if they tell me it has to be later, they'll tell me when it has to be. All right. Yeah, great. I mean, that sounds like a, like a smart goal as well. It's, yeah. Uh, it's all those things. Um, and I really had no expectation that talking to you was going to bring up the topic of the berries in Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, I like the ch challenge. For mm -hmm. sure. So, uh, I mean, how about um, we talk again when, uh, after you've uh, planted the tree, and just see how it goes? Yeah. So hopefully that'll be within a week. Yeah. And if not, I'll email you and tell you if, if they say it has to be two weeks or whenever they say it has to be, then it'll be then. Yeah. I'll tell yeah, you when, that, when it changes. Okay. Sound good. So, okay. I guess before we uh, end this, uh, is there anything you want to say to people listening? I love being a part of the first episode of Leadership in the Environment Sweden. I was supposed to be in Sweden this spring because I was invited to speak at uh, Smakapa Stockholm, yeah. which I think they've changed the name, Nakad Postponed. And um, I was supposed to give a, um, a presentation of my famous no packaging vegetable stew. I appreciate your involving me in Sweden. And this is, I think the world in many ways is looking to Sweden for leadership in this area. And I just, it's, it's like heartwarming to be a part of this. Thank you very much. Thank you.